everybody. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, and I am Black on the Air. Welcome to the show. This is one of my favorite episodes, you guys. I know I've saved it a lot, but uh, the great Joanna Coles is on the show. She's the editor-in-chief of Cosmo and and uh, the Hearst Company, all that kind of stuff. Uh, such an interesting person. She was on the nightly show back in the day, and we really hit it off, and I've been anxious to have her as a guest for a while, so... Um, I think you enjoy that conversation. She has a great book about love in the digital age, and it's uh, it's we're in different times, man. It's not easy for people, so she has some really good thoughts on that subject, and we ended up having a good conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. A lot of stuff going on. We had a long conversation, so I'm not going to do a long talk now, and I'm I'll still hold off on the tangerine Idi Amin maybe till next week because Trump's always doing something, you guys. Let's be honest. I really don't have to weigh in on Trump all the time. There's always something. But I did want to talk about this Starbucks thing, which I'm sure you guys heard about. The thing about these things is that we only get to see part of the story. So I have different opinions on this, which are kind of all over the place, but I don't care, whatever. We can walk and chew gun at the same time. But what what we saw when I first saw the video, I saw two black men being arrested for some reason in a Starbucks and taken away. And then as I heard about the story more, this is what I this is the understanding that I have. Apparently, Two black men were in a Starbucks. This is in Philadelphia, right? And I'm sure you guys have heard this. I'm just going through it for my own benefit. They were, I think, waiting for a friend. They had not bought anything. They were sitting there. And I think one of them wanted to go to the bathroom. And the manager said, no, you have to. It's only for customers or whatever. I'm assuming the person didn't buy anything. And they sat there. We don't know exactly how it transcribed where maybe... I don't know if the manager told them they had to leave or buy something. I don't know what happened because we don't know that part of the story. We just know that at some point, somebody thought that the cops had to be called. <laughs> I just, I'm laughing because it's a Starbucks. It's so insane that somebody's sitting there waiting for some somebody and somebody feels cops has to be called. Okay, so the cops are called. And so that's where the video takes off because uh, there was a white person in there. So I can't believe how black people are treated in America. So they picked up a camera and started I started filming it. Sorry, that was a horrible white person impression. I apologize for that. So we see the cops talking to these guys, asking them to leave. And I guess they didn't want to leave or they were discussing what happened. They're talking to her for a while. Next thing you know, the cops are handcuffing these two brothers in the Starbucks and they're gone. All right. Now, Starbucks, Starbucks, I think like the next day issued an apology. <laughs> it was so fast. They issued an apology faster than they make lattes. I mean, it was so fast, you guys. In fact, if you had ordered that apology, like the apology probably came with a name scribbled across it. That's how fast it was. And some people say, not enough. Sorry, Starbucks. People protested outside the Starbucks. And then Starbucks said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have, uh, we're going to shut down all of our Starbucks and we're just going to, uh, have some implicit bias training. Whew, that is a lot. So here's the first thing I have to say. If you want to have some fun, this is just a tip for fun. And white people, you can do this too, but I would suggest this is really for brothers. If you want to have some fun, just go to any Starbucks tomorrow and, you know, go home with a couple of people and say, um, I want to use the bathroom and I don't feel like paying for shit. Just go in there and just say that. And then uh, say, anybody got a problem with that? <laughs> and just kind of see what happens. It's just fun. People will scramble and run or whatever. It's just kind of fun. 
Um, so I have a lot of different opinions on this. And let me see, where should I start? First of all, on one side of this issue, this does expose what black people have known for years. This is what I call that, once again, uh, uh, white people or America is columbusing something that black people known for a long time. That's what columbusing means. Uh, when you discover something that black people have known forever, Columbus did. This is how black people get treated in many different ways, where I was just talking to someone about it, where I've been at a counter waiting there to be helped, and then a white person comes up behind me, the person turns around, looks right at the white person like, I don't exist at all. May I help you? Oh, God. I mean, that's happened so many times, I can't even tell you. So we've gone through this type of treatment for a long time. And it's funny how the, some of the people in the video, the white people, were like shocked to say that, wait, hold on, I sit here all the time. And I don't buy anything. And how come nobody says anything? Because that's called privilege. That's what that is. It's funny how people had no idea what that was until it happened. So I think that's a good thing that people can see, you know, what happens when you don't have privilege. And I'm making broad assumptions here. And I, and I, do, I do acknowledge that because, like I said, there's a lot of holes missing. And I don't know exactly what happened, you know. But why you have to call the cops on this doesn't seem right to me. But part of it is, and this could be the case too, that somebody at the Starbucks may have improperly set the black people alarm clock. That could have happened too. And you know what the black people alarm clock is. It's uh, The black people alarm clock measures the amount of time that elapses from the moment black people get comfortable to the moment white people become alarmed. Okay. That is the black people alarm clock. And it happens anywhere black people go. Once a black person gets comfortable, it's just a matter of time before white, white people become alarmed. Okay, So in a Starbucks, I would say black people alarm clock is maybe 55 minutes to an hour because people really hang out there a long time. Maybe somebody said it to 15 minutes. I don't know. It could have been an accident. Country club, it goes off immediately, black people alarm clock, right? You go into a Popeye's, though. Popeye's, the black people alarm clock, is like a smoke alarm. They got to check the battery. That It never goes off there, right? So no one's ever uncomfortable when black people run up Popeye's for some reason. So the other side of this, too, is I don't know why this needed to escalate, because in some ways it's really not a macro issue. To me, in many ways, this is really a micro issue. Like I'm kind of part of being even though I appreciate what Starbucks is doing and I understand why they're doing it. And let's be honest with ourselves. Part of why they're doing it is because, because of money. They don't want black people processing Starbucks forever. You know, I wouldn't be, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if suddenly they have like an African Americano, like by the next day or whatever, just to make things up. Right. They're going to be really pushing that caramel macchiato in the next week. Trust me, you guys. So, <laughs> well, for me, the salted caramel, Zach is laughing over there, but it's true, man. Am I wrong? It's true. That's how they do it. So, um, like, it's a micro issue. A lot of this never should have happened, but on the micro level, not the macro level. Like, let's take the one side of it from the Starbucks point of view. This manager, obviously a dick, okay? You can be a human being even if you have rules, you know? There are so many times, there's no reason why you just can't say if somebody asks to go to the bathroom, they haven't bought something, not a problem, man, go ahead. I mean, you're supposed to buy something, but I understand Go for it. Oh, are you guys waiting for somebody? No problem. Hey, you know, if you guys buy something, that makes it cool because, you know, people are waiting. here. There's a lot of ways you could say that that would have been cool. I'm guessing that whoever told them they couldn't go to the bathroom was probably a dick about it. And then once you become a dick about something, you're kind of on that, you know, 
you you kind of hold on to that and it's hard to let go. And my feeling is once that was said, it caused there was tension in the air, right? And now the person's like, well, fuck you, motherfucker. Why do I got to buy something? You don't got rules for anybody else. And then they don't want to buy something, you know? And yes, I'm doing the imagine black voice as if that's what they said. But if you're the manager, I mean, that shouldn't be a problem, you know? The, and people are comparing it to, well, if you let everybody go to the bathroom, homeless people can come in. Why are black people compared to homeless people who are just sitting in a Starbucks? That is not a good comparison. So the manager, first of all, I don't think the manager handled this well. I still don't know how the it elevated to cops. But this should never have been a problem in the first place. Okay, on the brother side of it, come on, man. Just buy a fucking cup of coffee. Seriously, a cup of coffee is two bucks. Seriously, okay, three bucks. You're in Philly? Two fifty. I don't know. This there is a definite coffee solution in this that has not been discussed. If you're in a <laughs> in an establishment that sells something and you want to take advantage of that establishment, you should buy something from that establishment. It is the common, courteous thing to do. This is what I mean by the micro level. It's just being thoughtful. If you're going to sit someplace, yes, wait, can you sit someplace and wait for somebody? Do a lot of people do that at Starbucks? Of course they do. Do white people do it and get away with it and black people don't? Yes, probably in some situations. Yes, whatever. But if you look at it from the micro situation of thoughtfulness, if you're going to be in a place, there is nothing wrong. In fact, you should want to buy something from that establishment because they're nice enough to let you sit there and use their Wi-Fi or wait or whatever. It's just the right thing to do. I believe there was a simple coffee solution to this, which hopefully could have avoided everything, or a pumpkin loaf solution, or a lemon loaf, whatever you want, cranberry scone solution. And I don't know why that didn't happen. I don't know why, after you can't use the bathroom because you didn't buy anything, why you don't just get a coffee. I just don't get it. This It seems like the solution that wasn't used. And... I think it should be talked about. I, you know, people want to say it's racist. That's fine. People want to get mad at the manager. Yep, manager was a dick. But people should also ask the question, yo, man, come on. Come on, man. You can't buy a coffee? Seriously? I mean, what the fuck? I mean, if you bought something and then they're treating you like this, yes, Starbucks should shut down for a day and do all this. But at least buy a cup of coffee. That's the thing I can't understand. All right. That's all I got to say. I will be performing stand-up at the Starbucks in Santa Monica this weekend, uh, just so you guys know, and at the Coffee Bean right next door. No, I'm just bullshitting. All right, guys, we got a fun show with Joanna Coles. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> First, a word from our sponsor. Are we being sponsored by Starbucks? No? Fuck. They're racist. All right, welcome back, everybody. I am with uh, God. I have to. Can I say you're one of my favorite people in the world? Yes, <laughs> of course okay? you can say that. I would be thrilled. Ms. Joanna Coles, everybody, Ooh. head of Cosmo Hearst uh, Enterprises. You name it. She she's just the head of everything. I am. You know, I am indeed. And she has a great. I'm book the head called, of nothing. You're the head of everything. And Love Rules, which is uh, on fire on the charts right now. It's a dating book. How to date in the digital age? Is that how to find a real relationship in the digital? Yeah, age? it's how to find love in the digital age because it's easy to connect with people yeah. in the digital age it's not that easy to get to know them so that's the point of it i agree with that i, I made a comment the other day like the more 
um, electronics brings us together, the more we are kind of socially apart, it feels like, in some ways, you know. Well, and Britain's yeah. just appointed its first loneliness minister, which is an extraordinary, <laughs> I extraordinary. Me. I mean, imagine being the minister for loneliness. In Britain, of all places, they have a loneliness minister? That's well, they, well, true. And it's so small, Britain, and it's so overcrowded. You're it like, is. how could they need that? But everybody's sitting yeah. at home on their own with their devices instead of getting out and having fun. Right. What, what was it like growing up in Britain? What part of Britain uh, did you grow up in? I grew up in the north of Britain. Okay, it's still very cold, first of all. Well, it's co- yeah. it's it's cold, but it's mm-hmm. also raining. It's always raining. Damp all the time. It's damp, so your bones are cold. And right, right. When I grew up, which was the 70s, it, there were a lot of power cuts. Uh-huh. So there were brownouts and blackouts oh, relentlessly because wow. there were always miners' strikes. Mm-hmm. And the one note of optimism in my life was watching American television. Really? And I watched Mary Tyler Moore, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I have to be Mary Tyler Moore. Wow. And it was only when I moved to New York that I discovered Mary Tyler Moore was actually set in Minneapolis. Yes. To me, it was just glamorous skyscrapers. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, how do I get there? And then when I got to New York, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I want to live in Minneapolis. (laughs) So, um, uh, but... Uh, Yorkshire, where I grew up, is mm-hmm. a little bit like the Texas of Britain. Okay. It's proud and independent. It mm-hmm. would quite like to be its own country. Texas in its spirit. Texas in spirit. Uh-huh. And a lot of people wanting secession from the rest of the country. Why is that? Why is Yorkshire like that? It, independent. Does it have that history? of that? Yes. Uh-huh. It, and it was always producing royals and then there would be battles and there was this uh-huh. hun- it, this is how determined and stubborn Yorkshire people are uh-huh. that there was actually a hundred year war yeah. with the neighboring county Lancashire the war of the roses yes war of the roses right so mm-hmm. it's steeped in history it had the first capital of Britain, York, very near where I grew up, which Mm -hmm. is still a walled city. And if you ever go to Britain, you must go to York because it's the most astonishing city. I have been to Britain, but I haven't been to York. Well, it's fantastic. And Mm -hmm. there is a a wall Mm -hmm. all the way around the city, which is really the mentality of Yorkshire, (laughs) which is stay away. Yes. And we're going to stay. This is not to keep us in. (laughs) This is to keep you out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Uh, So I I got the hell out, I think is the expression. Yeah. And that's a... Why do you think that is? I mean, it's funny because when you say minister of loneliness and you're writing a book on love, there's always been an an observation, at least from this side of the pond, of Britain as being that stiff upper lip of people being kind of reserved. Do you find that to be the case there or is that just a – oversimplification. And you joked about it, in fact, when you were on the nightly show. You probably don't remember. I do remember it because I talked about Brexit. Yes, and you were joking about that. And I thought, I don't know. I know so many British people who are so – like outgoing and kind of gregarious, but I get that part of it too. But is that a, just a deep cultural thing where you don't want to show too much? It's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. It's also that Britain is really small and many people went to the same schools and same universities. Ah. And so and a lot of them go on to rule the country. So you get this sense in which it's ruled by a very small group mm-hmm. and people don't like outsiders. It's an island state. We're very similar to the Japanese like that. We're private. We don't trust anybody mm-hmm. and we pretend to like you, but actually we don't. <laughs> so in the in the 60s, there was a big time of immigration in Britain, and there was a lot of resistance to that in a lot of quarters. A lot of resistance to that. Yeah. It was really hard for people coming in. And the other thing with British people, and I want r- listeners to bear this in mind mm-hmm. as we have this conversation, is we don't always say what we mean. Really? I never would have known that. <laughs> 
So there's a lot between the lines you have to read. Yeah. So if we say mm-hmm. things like, oh, you must come over for dinner, what we're actually saying mm-hmm. is you will never come over for dinner. Wow. And you can tell... Wait, you <laughs> must come over is you are never coming over. Yes. And we nice. actually how you can tell if a British person likes you is if they're rude to you. Uh-huh. If they're rude to you, it means they like you. If oh. they're very polite and pleasant. Like, like in what way? How would they be rude to me? Can I swear on your podcast? Oh, you can say anything you want. This is a podcast. Well, if and I, it's my podcast. Okay, it's your podcast. Yes. So we can't get thrown off You can't anybody. get in trouble. All right, but if I no. say you are such an asshole, Larry, you're mm-hmm. just an asshole, then um, it means I like you and you're. I think you're kind of funny. Oh, and if I, okay. if I didn't like you, I'd say, oh, gosh, you're absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so when somebody calls me, because, I mean, I mean I'll, I'll cuss here. You know, I remember I was in a taxi. And the driver says, you bloody cunt. And I'm like, man, you guys are pretty free and okay, easy with the He's saying he loves you. He's saying he loves he you. He was saying he loved yeah, that he's guy. Say, he's actually saying, I love your show. Really? Maybe, well, he wasn't maybe. saying it to me. He was saying it to someone he cut off. He didn't oh, say it to no, me. Oh, no, then he didn't like them. Okay. But you guys I mean, throw the C word around pretty uh, easily over there. We throw around a lot of words yeah. over there. We're not offended by cursing or swearing. We find it empowering. It's not like it is here. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's one of my big mistakes when I get very excited. I yes. F all the time. I use the F word. In fact, John Oliver yeah. taught me how to use the F word with great authority and really? force. Yeah. He was and like, what, it's the best word in really? the English language. <laughs> and what was his advice? Well, it was just to use fuck as much as you possibly yeah, can. It's, a good it's word. like a sort of, yeah. And it, it, it's like an exclamation point yeah and um but you can't do it on american television as i've learned well now you can because well you can't do it on network television oh you mean in personal appearances well, and, and you and you stuff, really yeah. can't do it i mean i do do it but you really can't do it in corporate life that's true yeah there there are some things that are verboten it's interesting where we are in culture and language where in some places like in some culture, you can say some of the worst language, and I'm using worst as a way to just describe just the nature of that particular language, you know, like horrible imagery, like music, you know, or that type of thing, or yep. arts. Yep. And in some quarters, you're right, it could be the most important situation, whether it's government, whatever, and your language has to be so careful and thought through, which is, it's that's what, one of the things, one of the endlessly fascinating things about Donald Trump, you know, is his non-caring of language which I've never seen that in a president. I mean, George Bush, you know, we used to make fun of him, you know, with his malapropisms or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it always seemed like he was trying, but he just didn't know any better. And it was kind of funny in a way. But Trump's is, uh, it's it's mean-spirited and it seems stupid. And, and it's very, I mean, I'm not trying to go off on Trump. But there's a thoughtlessness about it. That doesn't work on any level to me. Well, you feel as if he's sort of wrestling with an eel the whole mm-hmm. time with the language, that he hasn't well, like quite that. got grasp of it, yeah. right? And that at any minute it might just run away with him. Yeah. And See, I feel like he's fried that eel and it's in the bucket with the rest of his chicken and he's just speaking with a mouthful of eel and chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, that's what comes out in the tweet. And that's I the way feel I that it, he's right? just fished one out of the East River yes. and he's wrestling with it to get it in the bucket. And if he, yes. w- you know, he's just trying to kill the language yes. and the language just won't be killed. And I feel he's hired some illegal aliens to do that work of fishing the eel out uh, uh, and to wrestle And it. that's usually at 5.30 in the morning when the first tweet goes out, right? Correct. That's when the aliens wake up. Yes. And that's what he calls them, illegal aliens. It's the <laughs> term that I'm using. Um, so anyhow, um, so you did come over and you did become Mary Tyler Moore in some ways. In some ways. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I came, I, I got posted here for The Guardian as the New York right. bureau chief 20 mm -hmm. years ago mm -hmm. and uh, was incredibly excited to be here. And then the minute I stepped foot uh, actually off the QE2, mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't going to go back anytime soon. And it, it's such an exciting country, America. And I had the best job because I could just travel around writing about it, which mm -hmm. for me at the time was a gift. Yeah, and that was basically newspaper writing. Yeah, that it? was for The Guardian. And then right. I went to work for The Times of London doing the same job. And again, mm -hmm. there was no corner too small that you couldn't go to and you mm -hmm. couldn't find someone to write about. Did you like that kind of writing? I loved it. it, mm -hmm. it it's and, and also it's so low tech. You go off on your own, you've got a notebook and a pen, you don't need a crew mm -hmm. and you can ask anybody, anything. Right. And that's such a freedom. And at some point, I would love to go back out there again and do that because it's just in this digital world, it's so nice just to sit quietly with someone, ask some questions and write it down. Yeah. Analog. <laughs> analog, the interview in some yeah, ways. Yeah, you know. totally analog world, mm -hmm. actually. But people are analog still. And I think we forget Completely. that. Completely. And, yeah. and we forget the importance of it. Yeah. And listening to people, actually. I mean, the great skill in that job that I mm -hmm. learned was sitting, listening to people. And, and to my point, I was being a bit facetious about being British. But what's fascinating is when you're talking to people and, and trying to understand their lives. Mm -hmm. And often they're saying things and they're not quite saying what they're meaning. Yes. And your job is to figure out what are they actually trying to say here. Yes. And, um, and there are a lot of people in America, as we discovered at the last election, who felt they weren't being listened to. Yeah, that's so true. I've always been fascinated with that as a writer. Um, for some reason, I'm always able to kind of hear people's meanings, but I've always broken it down that um, most people mean what they say, but they don't say what they mean. Yes, you know? yes. And then you have people like politicians and lawyers who say what they mean, but they don't mean what they say. Yeah. You know, the words are the only thing that are important. It can have meanings in however you interpret it, but it's what they say is important. And then what we call... Um, True honesty or these types of things are people who say what they mean and they mean what they say, which is rare, you know, because people are, they either don't care about the correct words to use or they use words in a way where they're afraid to assess any real meaning to it. Does that yes, make sense? absolutely. You know? And then yeah. there are people that say what they think they mean and do something completely different. Yeah, yeah. Especially is, politicians. Yes, well, politicians definitely say what they mean, but they never mean what they say. Like, their words are chosen very carefully, you know, because they want to be able to defend words but not meanings. They don't want to defend intentions. They never want to defend, well, this is what I was trying to do. They, they always defend, well, this is what I said. Why are the two <laughs> words Paul Ryan floating into my head yeah. as you say <laughs> yes, that? Yes, it's true. They, like, they'll always say that. Well, I never said that. I said this. They always defend their language. You yes, know? yes, exactly, as, right. as opposed to the intent of it. Yes, it's like, well, but you weren't going to raise taxes. Well, I didn't say I wasn't going to raise taxes. I said this, but okay, we believe that that's what you said, you know, or whatever the issue is. It's very infuriating, you know, and I find that people do it in normal life too. Like they'll sneak intentions in, like say, uh, uh, what are you doing on Saturday? And I say, what's your real question? Right. Because like, what they're trying to say is, have you been invited to this thing that I haven't been invited <laughs> to? Or yes. do you want to do something? Yeah. And yes. you're like, where's this going and how can I benefit? Yes. And I'm like, and my position is, hey, don't try to clear my schedule so I don't have an ability to say yes or no. Like, you're clearing that out for me, you know, and then trapping you into an answer is what I think it is. I'm very paranoid about that. Yeah. No, you're right to be paranoid. And they mm. are trying to trap you into an answer. It is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what are you doing this weekend, Larry? 
Exactly. And I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I have a couple of things going on. But uh, yeah, I think I'm very, <laughs> I'm always on the guard for, for what intentions are behind speak, you know. And I think a lot of people don't even, aren't really conscious of that sort of thing. They're so used to speaking in a certain way. Like some people will say what when you ask them a question and they're not really asking you to repeat. They're really asking for more time for their answer. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah. it's also, you can always tell when, when you ask people questions, especially uh, politicians or business people who've, mm -hmm. uh, who are being interrogated, and you'll ask them the question, and then they go, I'm so glad you asked yeah, me that yeah. question. They're you're like, no, answer. you're not. You're not yeah. glad at all. In yes. fact, you're horrified I asked exactly. you the question, and you're stalling for time. Yeah. But I always, I love it when I, you say something, they go, what? And then you repeat it, you know, and then, oh, blah, blah. And they'll even start saying it while you're repeating it. And here's the <laughs> trick that I've learned. Someone ever does this? And you'll hear it now more that people do it. Here's the trick. When they say what, you just stare directly at them and you don't move a muscle, you know. And they just hang. And they'll just, no, they'll, they'll, they'll answer your question. So they did hear you after all. It works every time. So like if I say, hey, do you want to go to the game on Saturday? And you say, what? What? Okay, totally works. And, I, I, right, and I'm going to offer to take you to the game. Right, I'm paying See, for the game. I just game. look at you and then you say, oh, no, 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 I can't make it because blah, 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 blah. So right. actually what you're saying, I think, mm -hmm. is silence is your friend. Yes, always. Right, and, and we're so anxious to fill the gap yes. that we, we crush the gap. And the gap can be your friend. I think so. That's why you guys always say mind the gap. Oh, very good. We're very like a good. comedy team. We could we, go on We could, here. couldn't we? I think, uh, is anybody <laughs> laughing, though? That's the question. They're always laughing, <laughs> <laughs> as far as I'm right. concerned. At us, not with us. Okay, so from The Guardian then, did you go directly to Cosmo from The Guardian? No, I went from The Guardian to The Times, and okay. then from The Times oh, I went to Times. New York Magazine because okay. I had my second son by the time I got to The Times, mm -hmm. and I realized I couldn't really be rushing off around America the whole time. I, I wanted to spend time with my kids. Your schedule becomes more important. Yeah, mm -hmm. really. I, mm -hmm. the, yeah, the fact I couldn't control my schedule was overwhelming. So I had two sons and then I decided to go into magazines where I could at least have a sort of semblance of a normal life. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was fun. And then I went on to edit Marie Claire for six years and then I went on to edit Cosmopolitan, which was so mm -hmm. much fun. Mm -hmm. And really, I got there just as Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In was coming out. Right. And there was this whole feminist reawakening. And so we were able to pivot the magazine mm -hmm. from being uh, what was a very popular magazine about pleasing men yes, to yes. being able to uh, insert yourself into that uh, equation too and have yeah. a good time. Why do you think it took so long? That's interesting when you say that, because that is my impression of Cosmo from when I think of it from years ago. Like, and I always felt like, I'm not sure if women understand men, because we're pretty simple. I don't think you have to work this hard. We, you might not need a full magazine every month I don't to think please so. him. Yeah. Well, I remember, I mean, it, Cosmo's always had a very, very good sense of humor. But what, mm -hmm. I, what I wanted to do was pivot it from how to set his thighs on fire yes. to how to set your own thighs on fire. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, or in fact, how to set everybody's thighs right, on fire. Exactly. Whoever's yeah, thighs. Yeah, whoever's thighs. We just yeah, want their thighs. Thighs on fire these <laughs> thighs days. Thighs on fire. Yeah, that's right. all That's all we needed. Thighs on fire. Did you yep. find that uh, Cosmo, I mean, it's such a different thing than what you were doing before in some ways, but um, changing it over like that, was it a, a journey for you as well, like a personal journey? or? Hell yes. I had mm -hmm. to invent sex positions. Who knew? I mean, English mm -hmm. people don't really have sex. We're, you know, we're British and we don't talk about it. See, that's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of bullshit. Um, <laughs> but we do everything in the dark. 
Uh, okay, in that I do believe. Okay, right. that no, yes, that's definitely that part true. I believe. Yeah. yeah, and so I, yeah, it was an awakening for me. Let me put it yes. that way. But it was enormous fun. I loved doing it. And what now, was, when you say you had to, I didn't mean to interrupt, but when you say you had to invent sex positions, do you mean that literally? What What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that. Um, we wanted to make sure that there was always a way of keeping one of the issues that we... So there were two questions okay. I got asked all the time at Cosmo, actually. The yeah. two most popular questions and way ahead of any other questions mm -hmm. were, how do I negotiate a raise? How do I negotiate a raise? And I think that's a good question, actually. Very good question. Yeah. And how do I have an orgasm? Very nice. Can you do both at the same time? I think you probably can. I think you probably can, but it might not be advised. Right. So I'm just well, saying, don't do it. Don't do it in the office. Hashtag, hashtag me too. Don't do it in the Got office. It. I understand. Um, I understand. Uh, but the two questions that women really wanted the answers to, and mm -hmm. so we were always trying to invent ways that you could figure out a new way to try and have an orgasm if you hadn't had one before. And then Got there it. was always the, how do you describe an orgasm if you haven't had one? Wow. Which is an interesting, it's a bit like trying to describe a scent or trying to describe music. Right. You actually need to experience it to understand it. Right. You can hint at top notes of musk or, you know, jasmine, but right. it's actually hard to understand what a scent smells like just by reading about it. Similarly with sex, right. hard to write about it. And actually Britain has a bad sex award that it gives out every year. Not, not for people that have bad sex. I was going to say, does the royal family win? <laughs> This every <laughs> it's for it's for writers. Um, it's uh -huh. it's for authors who write about sex because it's so incredibly difficult to write about without either slipping into cliche right. or sounding absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And so we were constantly, uh, you know, I had a great team of writers who were constantly trying to write about sex in a refreshing, interesting, engaging way. Yeah, it seems like it would be finite, you know, in terms of advice, but I guess it isn't because times change. Dynamics change, I guess, between people. Even like you say, just the notion that it would take so long for women to think, you know what, my pleasure is important here too. Right. Well, and, how do and, I go about that? Well, right? and actually, what's what's interesting, and I do touch on this in the book, is that the ubiquity of porn online now has mm -hmm. become our default sex educator. So we have wow. a whole generation yeah. of young men and young women who've grown up thinking that porn sex is real sex, and of course, mm -hmm. it's not. And I, in the 10 years I was at Marie Claire and Cosmo, I talked to hundreds of women and one of their complaints was that men wanted them to behave like porn stars. Right. And porn, obviously, is shot through the lens of a camera mm -hmm. and certain things that look good on camera don't feel so good in real life. <laughs> right, right. And women were right. like, I don't want to do this. What mm -hmm. should I do? And, um, and I the think, first pornos were actual films. You know, they had a relationship. You know, right, there was a story. <laughs> yes, there was a story. Right, well, it's all right. sped up a bit, Larry. Yes. I know that you would have no idea about any of this. Well, you know, <laughs> from from what I've heard, Joanna. <laughs> so, um, so you know, one of the the complaints that mm -hmm. I heard a lot from women was that they now felt that they were competing with porn, and yes. that if they weren't putting out at the end of the date. Um, the guy would go home and just log into Pornhub and, and wow. sort of be fine. And yeah. so this, I think there's a sort of contemporary dilemma going on there, which hasn't yet been resolved. It's affected a lot of marriages too. There was, I think, um, it was either 60 Minutes or something like that years ago talked about, like porn has replaced you know, companionship in some ways. And now you have robots that are being made. Yep, and you've you know. got virtual reality, so, yeah. you know, virtual reality porn, and now you've got all sorts of things you can buy, like mm -hmm. foam rubber, accoutrement, that I find totally depressing. 
Yeah. I mean, not that I've tried them, actually, yeah. but I find the idea of them completely depressing because actually squeezing something that's foam rubber is not the same as squeezing a real person. No, it's not. It's very bizarre. But, you know, I just saw a Ready Player One, the Spielberg movie, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's a world of virtual reality. And this the one character, spoiler alert, you know, it's not really spoiler alert, but he wears like this suit where you can feel all the stuff in the virtual world. And right. I, and, I, and it makes me think, man, are we heading towards that where – People won't need human contact anymore. They'll just, like, want to sit in their room with a suit. And... Well, it's possible that some of us are heading in that direction, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably why Britain's trying to get ahead of it with their loneliness mm-hmm. minister. Uh, though, you know, you don't want to be taking on Steven Spielberg because he's pretty convincing when, when those movies work. This is the one mm-hmm. with Lena Waith in it, isn't it? Yes, the movie. She's yes, in it. it's it. Yeah, it's a really complicated time for people. And I think, I hope what's happening is that we're beginning to pay a bit more attention to our behavior around our devices. Mm -hmm. And it's not zero sum. We're never going to give them up. I love my phone. I love the fact that it connects me to what's going on right now. But I think if you put your phone down and you can live through the moment of panic when you feel disconnected Mm -hmm. and actually take a breath and and lean back a bit and remind yourself of the power of just talking in real life, of sitting with friends, mm-hmm. instead of this weird thing that we've done where we suggest that people collect packs of followers and fans and, and mm. Facebook friends. And of course, a Facebook friend really isn't a friend. They're not going to, you know, if you've never met someone just because right. they like something that you've posted you know it doesn't mean they're going to drive you to chemo it doesn't mean that you're going to be their bridesmaid Mm -hmm. and that's actually the stuff that relationships are made of the the connective tissue between people that makes life exciting and worth living and it's quite difficult some of it and i think that we've Mm -hmm. we've lost the uh or we've momentarily lost the understanding of the value of that and Mm -hmm. it's really important we bring it back otherwise we're going to end up all with foam rubber dolls living with robots (laughs) i know you know it's funny because At the same time, um, that technology has always kind of, we always kind of lose something with technology, it seems like. Even like people argue, like when radio comes out, well, families used to tell stories. Now the radio's telling the story. And then television comes out. Well, we used to eat dinner around the table. Now everybody sits in front of the TV and nobody's talking, you know. Uh, computers kind of isolate people in a whole different way. And now our devices, we can be isolated while we're amongst everyone else. Right. which is the most interesting form of isolation. Where Well, and I think know. the idea is, too, that somehow we were sold the bill of goods that these things would connect us yes, with people. Yes, exactly. Right? And Ironically, it feels like we're being separated as opposed to connected, or well, we're being... But we're, both things are being done. Yeah, both things are being done because it's in- incredibly exciting that you can connect with people who have similar interests to you, especially if you live in a tiny sure. town, right? Yeah, that, that is great. You can connect with people. Yeah, if I'm living in Yorkshire, you know, I want to connect with some people. Um, right. I mean, actually, and- we should just connect Yorkshire and Texas, and then <laughs> yes. they could spin off into that their would be own fantastic. crazy land. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so it's fun to be connected to people that have similar interests to you. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just not mistaking that connection for being the same as sitting down and listening to someone, talking to someone, being responsible for someone and mm-hmm. you don't have the same responsibilities to a Facebook friend as you do to an actual friend and then at the same time and I'll give the con- the counter argument to that I mean going off your minister of loneliness is to me I feel like we're almost in a crisis of loneliness in some ways you know where so many people feel alone in ways that I certainly don't remember and maybe I just wasn't aware of it and sometimes these outlets are their only chance at connection 
And I don't know where that isolation comes from. Some people argue maybe it's the effects of a prosperous society, you know, where it's sometimes in our hardest of times, sometimes we feel, you know, more connected, you know, during times of uh, hardship or, you know, I mean, Britain's probably never been more united than World War II, probably. Right, and you know? so you've got a common enemy. I mean, a common yes. enemy is very useful for people, actually. Yeah. So obviously it during the war, is. you know, the London, the, the yeah. Blitz spirit in, in London when it was bombed 69 days in a row. Yeah. And you think it was, an, you know, an astonishing time. Completely. Um, I love listening to old radio. It's still compelling now to listen to firsthand accounts of that. Like, I get chills listening to it. And just the spirit of the British people to go through that and come out on the other side. And I think Malcolm Gladwell talked about how it had the opposite effect of what Hitler thought it would have. Right, all that bombing, it unified you know. people yes. and they were like, we're in this together. They got together. stronger rather yeah, than weaker. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And it's that's still very much a sort of emotional backbone of sure. Britain, actually, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but we're learning to live with these devices and, mm -hmm. and a lot of the glory that they bring and the frictionless... Um, access to all sorts of things mm -hmm. and connecting us. But it's easy to go wide on the web. It's not easy to go deep, I think, in terms uh, of relationships. Right. And, uh, you know, all the studies show that the single most important thing, apart from your DNA and genetics, that will guarantee you live a longer and a happier life is the quality of who you love and who mm -hmm. loves you back. Yeah. And it's a very simple thing. And yet people find it hard to do. And, of course, for a generation that have grown up with their devices – they hate picking up the phone. You know, they would rather yeah, yeah. stick a dagger in their heart than pick up a phone. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, nowadays, if you get a phone call, you pick up the phone, yeah. you go, is there anything wrong? What's the matter? <laughs> yes, is there a crisis? Exactly. Do I need to come? What's going on? I mean, on? it's right. right yeah. Um, right. Uh, you know, how soon can I get there? Yeah. Um, and it's like, no, I'm just I'm just calling. No one does that anymore. And I just so, want to hear your voice. What? What? Oh terrifying. Yeah. You're a creep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Uh, so I didn't know what my point is, really. I've run out of my point. No, I haven't. Yes. I'm back on You're point. Back. My yeah. back on point, which is the single thing that guarantees that people will live a long and happy life is mm -hmm. who they love and who loves them back. And actually, right. that's the stuff that makes you happy. It's the stuff that makes you feel alive, excited, yeah. that you want to embrace the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got one-fifth of uh, of women in America on antidepressants. That's kind yeah, of depressing. That That is an amazing fact. Um and one f one in five women say they've been sexually assaulted. Yeah, so that, that, very that, sad that kind fact. of sucks. Yeah, and that's, um, very, that's that's tragic. I mean, you know, that was one of my big issues on the show. It still is, of course, you know. But that fact, the the huge number of women that that's affected is just devastating. You know, I'm very happy that the Me Too movement is here and that we're hearing this in the way, but it also saddens me at the same time. Well, and also, you know. You know <clears throat> It, it, it's very difficult to think about numbers. But if I said to you, Larry, let's go on holiday. I found this fantastic island. I want you to come with me. There's a one in five chance. Wait, there's chance. a downside in this? Well, there's a one <laughs> in five chance you're going to be sexually assaulted. You'd be like, I'm not coming there. What are you talking about? And yet this is what we send our kids right. off to at college, right? Yeah. One in five of them say they've been sexually assaulted. 50% mm -hmm. of those assaults take place with alcohol. And mm -hmm. so I think we need to remind people to get off their devices, get out into the world, connect with people, do things with uh -huh. people, build up team spirit. And I think especially for people going into the workforce, you know, when you're at college, you are probably involved in some kind of 
team sport or, sure. you're, or you're involved in putting out the college newspaper or you're involved in theatre or something and then you get out into the working world and it's work and then in the evening maybe you're meeting friends or you're going to a bar but you lose that sort of extracurricular projects doing doing projects with other people mm -hmm. that actually give you something in common with other people and I think now what people tend to do is you know everybody says they go home and they Netflix and chill right which is kind of depressing you're sitting on a sofa watching someone else's life mm -hmm. when you could be living your own you could be in a bowling league and you could you be know. in a bowling league there but bowling league's not really about bowling it's about hanging out with people That's it's about point. trying to beat the other team there you go. right and you don't have to be very skilled do you not at all it's a bonus if you're not it's really about it's really about drinking like most things in America. And most things in America. Most right. things in America, somewhere in there, there's alcohol involved. Not if you live in Utah. So what is the biggest obstacle to love these days? So we know that connection is very difficult. Love seems like, it's funny, living in New York City and Los Angeles, I get to talk to a lot of different people in different situations. And I travel over the country and stuff too. New York seems to have an interesting problem to me in that area. I meet so many people, and especially women, especially professional women, who have this problem, you know, with with the love problem, with finding love, you know. Well, I, talk, I literally talked to hundreds of women over the times mm -hmm. I was at Marie Claire and Cosmo. And I'm often going out, you know, to college campuses, mm -hmm. talking to professional women's groups. And yes. I didn't once hear anybody talking about falling in love. I didn't hear people talking mm -hmm. about passion. They weren't using that language, the, right? The language has yeah. fallen out of use. Yeah, that, that worries me. I love that kind of language. Yeah. Well, it's so romantic. And yes. also it's the stuff, you know, it's the stuff that great books are written about, Completely. great music is great written songs, for, yeah. right? And um, and now it's all about hooking up. Mm. And, and I think now people tend to have sex to figure out if they like someone. Whereas mm. even when, I, and I'm not pretending that I grew up in the, the good old days, but... Right. There was a sense in which you got to know someone before you had sex with them. Not always, I will say, not right. always. Right, right, right. Um, but by and large, the goal was to get to know someone first before you decided to have sex. And I think yeah. what's been lost <laughs> in the where we are right now is intimacy. And mm -hmm. actually what people crave is intimacy. And that's at the heart of the loneliness mm -hmm. epidemic that, um, that people want to be close to other people. Yeah. And I think... Dating apps, which I talk about a lot in the book and I think can be a fantastic tool to get to know someone, especially if you live in a remote community, mm -hmm. um, they're, they're really an amazing arrow in your quiver, um, nevertheless can feel very transactional and they can make people feel interchangeable. Yeah. And there's this sense in which you can sort of simmer people on the back burner because there's always someone else that you might be able to find. So people kind of have a natural guard up or a wall up just in case this doesn't work out sort of, well, sort of thing. Well, right? definitely that. And mm -hmm. also the sense that, well, this person's okay. I'm not going to get rid of them entirely because mm -hmm. I don't want to be completely alone and there right. might be someone else out there but I'm going to keep them just hot enough that if I need them I can go back to them kind of hedging their bets hedging their bets mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of that going on and it is a bit like um going into Costco you can feel completely overwhelmed you need to find the fresh produce aisle Right. Otherwise, you leave with a, a cart full of stuff that you didn't think you wanted when you went in, and you definitely don't want it when you leave. But at the time, yes. in the store, you felt under pressure to buy. See, my relationship to Costco is like a dog in a car. I can't get enough of Costco. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Like my head's out the window pat, panting as I'm on my way to Costco. 
I'm happy in Costco. I get free food in Costco, you know, at the samples. I go, ooh, I should get that. I should get that. I don't get hardly any of it, you know. I end up getting a few things, and I go, what? why did I come to Costco? And then I leave, and as I'm leaving, I go, man, I got to get back to Costco. <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh, well, you go. And that's, that's my love how... life in, in a simple way. Okay, well, go. that's a little sad. I can do better. I can do better for you than that, Larry. I promise you, I can. I can. Um, but it, it, it's an interesting time, and I think. Um, People feel, uh -huh. I mean, a lot of women I spoke to said they felt under pressure mm -hmm. that if they didn't put out, as I was saying earlier, that the guy would just go home to porn or he would just start swiping again there's on, someone on, else. on the phone. Yeah. Right. There's the, a lot of there's options. Always, there's mm -hmm. always someone else. And I feel, here's something I want to ask you. Like, um, there always seems to be a contest of, like, who's going to be more intimate first? I don't mean sexually. I mean in the intimacy race. Like... Like, who should say I love you first? You know, that type of thing. Right. Or who's making a move to show that we're a unit first? Like, where is that more? Well, it, and it's the exclusive chat, right? It's like, are we yeah, going to be exclusive? Are you going to come off your dating app? Well, I saw you were still on there. I feel that's more fraught today than it's ever been. Well, and again, I think that's because people feel there are more options. And the truth is there are more options. It's mm -hmm. easier yes, to meet it is the different truth, people. Actually. It's completely yeah. true. Right. So how do we negotiate relationships in like this world? Like a woman world? especially. I think women, not to overgeneralize, but I always feel that in many cases, they're the ones that want to push for that faster than I think a guy does. In, in most cases, you know, especially the, um, you know, having the the single type of relationship there, you know. Um but I think it feels to me that sometimes they're afraid to be the one to push the intimacy too fast of scaring off the partner. So, And the guy from the other point of view, and these are all my observations and generalizations, I think the guy is like hedging a lot. <laughs> you know? Well, and I'm not sure whether or not that has changed because the uh -huh. trope is always the woman trying to tie the guy Those down. Those generalizations right? yeah, in some ways, yeah. Um, work, you know. uh, and I think what's sort of fascinating about it now is just that when do you stop online dating? How do you know you've met the one? And is that the right question to be asking yourself? And mm -hmm. uh, and there are, there's some very interesting science in the book about how we communicate online. And of okay. course, this is relatively new. So the science is relatively what, new. But what is the most fundamental difference of communicating online than doing it in person? Well, so we quote extensively Mary Aitken, who's undoubtedly the best cyber psychologist out there. And mm -hmm. she spent a lot of time thinking about this. And what happens when you communicate in a computer-mediated environment is that you bring... There are really four of you in the relationship. There's the real life self, and then there's this curated self that you're <laughs> you're sort of performing online, yes. right? Right, right, right? And actually, what happens is in the gaps in that communication and the gaps of what you know about the person, you actually attribute to them positive qualities that mm -hmm. they may not actually have. Yeah, and so one of the snags with um, online dating is that people often get into this fun flirtatious text exchange, which mm -hmm. can go on for weeks. I mean, you, I would talk to people, women and men, mm -hmm. who'd had, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 text exchanges, which wow. are really fun and keep the day amusing, especially if you're in a, in a dull job. But they haven't met the person They yet. haven't yet met the person. Wow. And then eventually they take it offline, they meet the person, and the person is a complete disappointment and not remotely the person they thought they were communicating with. And, hmm. you know, I talked to a lot of people who said, oh, my God, you know, I couldn't 
wait to meet them. It was fantastic. We had this crazy, sexy text exchanges. I loved it. And then they sit down and the person takes one look at them and goes, oh, look, this isn't going to work, is it? I don't want to waste your time. I don't really <laughs> need to so drink terrible. right now. It's crushing, it's right? Terrible. It's disappointing. It's yes, crushing. of course it is. Yes. So my advice in the book um, is literally, for God's sake, at some point, pick up the phone before you yeah. go and meet someone because your time is at stake sure. here, right? And who's right. got time to go and sit with someone they don't like? And also, no one's got time to be crushed like that with disappointment because your expectations are so high. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very different having a text exchange than it is talking on the phone. You need mm-hmm. to hear someone's voice. Can you tell if they're smart, dozy, mm-hmm. do you share values? And then get it offline as soon as you can and do something for half an hour. Don't commit to a whole evening with someone you don't know because that's yeah. stressful. Do you think someone's voice, I never thought about this, do you think voices are one of the most important factors of falling in love or with somebody or connecting with someone? Because it's interesting that you say that, yes, you can be texting with someone and have a completely different just vibe. Let's use the word vibe, you know, and then you start talking to them and there's zero vibe. Yes, zero vibe. Well, I don't know if yeah. they're the most important, but they're clearly a really important part of mm-hmm. it, right? Especially if you're thinking of, of uh, you know, the long haul here. Mm-hmm. Um but it's but interesting the I- that there was that strong connection before, or maybe it was just a superficial flirtation. Well, it's very easy to mm-hmm. text well, right? I mm-hmm. mean, people bring in their friends to help them, but ah, also you funny. have control. I mean, it's the modern version of Serrano de Bergerac, right? Where sure, you just sure. your friends are all weighing in. Oh my God, right. that what does that mean? You should send him this emoji, blah, blah, blah. Yes. It's fun. Yeah, sure. And it's not actually that difficult. Right. Um, That's true. And so you progress to a phone conversation, which is a bit harder. It's why millennials would do anything to avoid them. And also the more you avoid (laughs) them, the harder they are to have Mm -hmm. because you've got out of practice. So it's a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And then you have to take it offline. And then you've got all five senses when you actually meet someone and you're you're figuring out, is the chemistry here? Mm -hmm. Do I like them? Are we achieving eye contact? Is it kind of awkward? Is he talking over me? None of that stuff matters in the text, right? Right. So I think um, there's a lot of time wasting going on, a lot of frustration, and a lot of bogus expectations which get crushed the minute you sit down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny because there is a magic – well, I guess relationships can start off so many different ways. So many different ways. Yeah. I was was about to say there is a magic with just meeting someone and you just unexpectedly hit it off. But then – you know, the East has a lot of arranged marriages where people mm-hmm. get married right away and then they develop a love affair a- after they've already been married. You right. Know? And often they've been brought together by families who have instinctively know that they have a lot in common. Because really, if you're going to last the long haul, you need enough in common with people that when they drive you crazy, yeah. you, you've still got a place to come back to. Sure. And I think the other thing is that we have this very romantic notion of meeting the one, right? Mm-hmm. Or falling in love with someone and it's love across a, a bar or whatever. In fact, the way most people fall in love is with people that have been around in their circle for some time. And it's the brother of a best Mm -hmm. friend who you always thought was a jerk. And then suddenly he morphs from jerk to, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Or he says something one day and you're like, oh, my God, I love this guy. Right, Um, right, right. One of my favorite stories in the book is about a couple that work together. It's the familiarity. Yes. Mm -hmm. And also having worked on a joint project. So you see your best self and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's really smart. He looks like a jerk, but actually he's super smart. Yeah, it's a good way to get to know somebody. Yeah. It's a great way to get to know someone. And often people are hiding in plain sight and you just aren't thinking of them like that. Are we – is love place romances kind of frowned upon now, do you think? Well, 
it's it's much more complicated territory yeah. than it was right in the Me Too Times Up era. Right. Uh, certainly, you want to know what your company's uh, HR rules are, and mm-hmm. you absolutely have to know they will apply to you, no matter how good you think you are. The company right. has to do that just legally. It has to ensure that they follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And if you're having an affair with someone who you report to, mm-hmm. or if you're having a an affair with someone who reports to you, you have to be doubly careful. And I think the minute you know it's serious, I think Google has now introduced a rule where you can ask uh, someone out on a date one time, mm-hmm. but you can't persistently ask them if they keep saying no. Um, you mean if you work at Google? If you work at Google, okay. you can ask someone on a date. That's okay, but you can't keep asking them on a date if they keep saying no. So you can't be persistent. You can't be persistent. Mm-hmm. Um and no, it, it, this is re- this is really complicated territory. But yeah. I think if you think that you're you're falling for someone or you want to to get to know them better, you need to let someone know at work, particularly if there's a power dynamic between the you two. Should probably of you. let the person know you're falling in love with. Well, that's definitely <laughs> true. But assuming the two of you like each other, you have to be sort of realistic about the fact that yes. at some point this is awkward for the people around you. Yes. Right? It's actually a nightmare working with couples, yeah. and one of you may end up having to change your job or at least move divisions. Have you ever had to deal with that? Um... Well, not at Cosmo because Cosmo mm-hmm. was pretty much all women and some gay men, so mm-hmm. there wasn't there wasn't that much room. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a couple of gay women, but they weren't, as far as I know, having relationships with people in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on Fleet Street in the eighties, where everybody was sleeping with everybody. Sure. Um, uh, but nowadays, I think it's much more complicated. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, in your book, you talk about you use the word diet. Now, you have a lot of prescriptions for dating in the I do. digital world. Why do you use that, you know, uh, that imagery of... Well, I call it a diet book for love because uh-huh. I think food and love have a lot in common. Yes. And women are used to thinking a lot about what food they take And this in. book is primarily for women? No, it's really for men. I mean, I would love men to read it. And it's mm-hmm. for any age and any stage. It's for women in their 20s and 30s looking for a partner. Mm-hmm. And it's also for people who are divorced or widowed getting back out there again. And the landscape has really changed it's since It's different the first from time. what they knew Absolutely. before. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and the point is, what I really want to do is bring the fun back to dating. This okay. should be such a fun time. You know, you should mm-hmm. be excited to go out with someone. It shouldn't feel like a chore and it shouldn't feel frightening, which is what I was hearing from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of it as a diet book for love because we all need food and love. We have yes. huge appetites for both. Uh when they're good, they're fantastic. And when they're bad, they it sucks. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to get hooked on junk food. And I think it's quite easy to get hooked on toxic people and junk relationships. Okay. And, you know, there's an element in which you need to clear out toxic people in the way that when you're on a diet, you need to clear out the fridge. I mean, if you've got really tempting stuff in the fridge, it's so much harder to diet. Yes. Um, And, you know, one of the things women from an early age are counseled to do is to keep a food journal. And Mm -hmm. if you keep a a sort of journal about your love, especially around dating and around love, you can begin to track your patterns of behavior. So, you know, there are triggers and maybe the trigger is it's Saturday night, you don't have any plans, you call the ex, right? Which is the worst possible thing you can do because you end up getting back with the ex and then you're like, oh, maybe he's the one, maybe he's not the one, I know he's not the one. And then, you know, (laughs) you it's a bit like snacking on a donut. (laughs) 
right. in the moment, it seems like a really good idea. It's comforting. It's delicious. It's sweet. And then half an hour later, you're like, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. And you're still hungry. So it's right. double whammy of defeat. It's like, I know booty calls are fattening. I don't know why I do it. Absolutely. Right. And is it mm-hmm. worth wasting emotional calories on this person? Emotional calories? Which is really energy, right? It's your emotional That's energy. And it's yeah. your turn. Yeah. And it's your, thank you. Mm-hmm. And it's your time. So do you actually want to waste your time on this mm-hmm. person? And do you want to waste your energy? Could it be better put something else? Now, do you do anything like Weight Watchers or anything? Like, do you have any point system for things like that? Or I should have done a point system. I should have done a point system. I where um, people could say, "Oh, wait, no, no, no. If I do that, that's like five points. Uh, I can't do that, you know." But this, oh, well, this is like uh, only two points. I only mean, two I mean, points, or yeah. it's free. It's completely it's free, free yeah. right? It's free. Right. So I like f- I can make out at the movies. That's free. <laughs> right. It doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't count. It all counts, Larry. <laughs> right. It all counts. That's true. In um, in relationships, everything counts. I think. I think it, I think it yeah. does count. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the there are various exercises I ask people to do in the book. One okay. of which is um, challenging yourself. Have you ever had sex sober? Have you ever had sex sober? Okay. Because so many people have drunk sex. Goes back to my alcohol thing, right? It goes back to your alcohol mm-hmm. thing, and also I think the point now that people are having sex to figure out whether or not they find someone attractive, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to have good sex with someone you've just met. I mean, it's not impossible, but... Wow, that's interesting. It's very difficult to have good sex with someone you just met, and you feel that's why alcohol is involved. Is it that so you don't have to worry about intimacy? You could. Well, I mean, mm. I talked to so many women who said, hell yes, of course we drink. It's a nightmare getting naked yeah. with a stranger, <laughs> right? And then you have to pretend you're a right. porn star, and then you've yes. got to try and have a, an orgasm, which is complicated have, for women. And then you have to look at a penis. Who wants oh, to look at that? Right. Yeah, well, you've probably seen some of those before because there are a lot right. of dick pics out there. Yeah. Um, but Which I, I think, don't understand at all. I don't get that. I don't. I, well, note note to the men listening: yeah. please stop sending. I don't dick understand pics. that. Culture. So not sexy. See, I'm so happy in my day. It took way too much effort to do that. I mean, well, you'd need a brownie camera, well, right? Yeah. You'd have to have a kind <laughs> of blank. You'd yeah, have to you put had a to set it up on it. a tripod. You had to take the picture. <laughs> then you had to go down to uh, Photomat, and you had to get it developed. <laughs> then you had to pick through all the pictures, and oh, that's it. And then you had to put it in an envelope, and you got you got to look down. Then you got to put that in the mail. Right. It's way too much work. And then you've got to hope that her mum doesn't yeah. open it. And she'll be it's like, hey, what's way this? way too much work right. for a dick pic. Way, way too, too much, much work. Yes. Yeah. Well, dick right. pics, I think, a bit like coming videos, which uh-huh. are also just incomprehensible to me as an erotic tool. Coming videos. Which That's is a when very a guy, specific term. Yeah, I okay. know. It's not a great term, but okay. it's the only term that That's I okay. know for them, which I, is when men send pictures of themselves and then just as they're orgasming, they shout your name. Oh, my God. That's... I actually have not heard of this. Oh, that's quite I common. I can't believe that's that. quite yeah. common. And and they lo- say they say your name. Yeah, which is right. creepy, right? If right. you're the if you're the recipient of that, that's kind of creepy. It's well, not that's sexy. what Call Me by My Name was about. I don't so. think it was. Oh, okay. I don't that's think about it was because that okay. is such a good movie. I rushed off to buy it. It was book. a good movie. I was making fun of it, but it was a good movie. Beautiful movie. It was a beautiful very well book. Done. So here's my question. So you're telling me women don't like that? <laughs> well, but I said your name. What could know, be what could be name. wrong I about said your this? Name. So creepy. And you've maybe not even you've seen one tiny little picture of him at this point. Um, right. It's why I, I actually of all the dating apps, I do like Bumble because it allows women to make the first move. Okay, it's more of an empowerment type. of Yeah, I think uh-huh. so. And also, you know, a lot of um, cyberspace was designed by men for men, mm-hmm. and Bumble actually has a female founder, and so she was thinking about it much more from the perspective of women. Mm-hmm. 
And I do think that, you know, sending dick pics and stuff, in a way, it's very similar to the flashing of the, you know, the bathrobe that we've seen a lot of in Hollywood. and The flasher. The, the, well, the flasher and the kind of public masturbation, which just seems such a weird thing to do. I don't understand that. Well, and it's right. so far from sex, right? I yes, mean, it's, it's, it's to intimidate people. It's not to make people feel right. like you're attractive. And or, then they like come in a plant or something like that. And I feel sorry for the poor plant. The plant was just there being a plant. Right, and know? then it's going to really struggle. Yeah, yeah, it's like, hey, hey. That I'm... ain't no miracle grow. No. <laughs> yes, that's a fact. <laughs> but guaranteed no weeds are going <laughs> to grow out of that uh, at that point. I can't, I, I can't believe we've got to this point in the conversation, but it's so interesting that yes. that's what people think um, is a good thing to do. Yes, and it's interesting some of the terms you use too. You say trust your gut and protect yourself with probiotics. What are what are dating probiotics? Well, that's about being sensible and doing for example, the British police who keep different statistics because obviously as we were talking about earlier Britain's a smaller a smaller country so it's easier to keep crime stats. Mm -hmm. But what they discovered was that if you meet someone in Britain on an online dating app mm -hmm. and you meet them Either And you, you can meet them in a bar, but if either of you go home to one of each other's homes or ho houses, right. you are six times more likely to be sexually assaulted by that person wow. than if you meet someone in a bar. And the British police have said there's now a new kind of sexual predator who's using apps. So that particular chapter is about making sure that you stay safe. Always let mm. someone know if you're meeting a stranger. Right. I uh, talked to one girl in the book who when she meets someone from a dating app and they meet in real life, she always takes a picture. She asks for his driving license. She takes a picture of it on mm -hmm. her phone, sends it to a friend and says, this is who I'm going home with tonight mm -hmm. so that you have a sort of backup. And then I have a whole system of how to get out of a situation that you're in if you feel that it's going south. If, it, if you're going south, what's one of the the best things you can do to get out of an awkward situation? Well, you can do everything from telling him that you've got your period to saying <laughs> you're, you're going to be sick, that you're... Mm. He you, keeps you saying, I don't to, mind. That's okay. Right. Or that mm -hmm. you go to the bathroom and then you summon help on your cell phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you don't want to do is That's get, if you're feeling threatened, you yeah, say. Yeah, if you're feeling As like As opposed he's, to it's just kind of awkward. Oh, yeah. No, if it's awkward, okay. I mean, you just... Uh, and most people can negotiate themselves out of an awkward situation. But right. if you think he's really got bad intentions towards you and you're not going to get out without being assaulted, mm -hmm. there are... These are at least some things i'm not saying it guarantees you in any way but we talked to several members of the police and a couple mm -hmm. of great fbi guys um who have tracked the behavior of people who lure people to their homes and then don't want them to get out mm -hmm. um and so we have various ways of trying to protect yourself. And you want to have a blueprint going into a situation so you know what to do. You don't want to be caught unawares. Mm -hmm. um, and, key, you know, key is to, for your first few meetings, meet in a public place, meet, right. you know, in a place that's informally policed by other people. So it could be a bar, yeah. it could be a cooking class, whatever you want to do. But make sure you have other people around. It's so tough. When people have bad intentions, they can trick you so well because usually they've done it for a while and they're right. kind of good at it. And I feel sorry for that. I remember there was a, a story, it was a local story. I think I was still doing the nightly show and someone had seen a guy put like a drug in someone's drink in a club. It was, I think a couple of women stopped it. And I was like, man, if they hadn't stopped that, 
I mean, the person never would have known, you know. Well, in the book, we have a, a story of a girl who got matched with a guy on Tinder. They meet in real life. And mm-hmm. as they're having the date, the guy gets up to go to the bathroom. And a girl comes over and tells this girl, says, I met that guy on Tinder. He raped me. Wow. So she's warned. They end up going mm-hmm. back to her apartment. He rapes her. She informs wait, Tinder. Wait. So they warned her. They, they warn her, but she likes him. And also, you you know, you're like, well, maybe the girl's jealous. Maybe they broke up badly. I don't know what oh happened. Oh, my God. She ends up going back to his apartment or he mm-hmm. goes back to her apartment. Uh, and he does end up raping her and she's very upset by it. And mm-hmm. then she uh, reaches out to the dating app and... Um, decides not to press charges with the police. She goes back and forth on it, but she decides she doesn't want to get that whole get into that whole can of worms. Mm-hmm. And um and then, you know, six months later when she decides to go back on the dating app, she's matched with him again. No way. So you really you do have to be careful, which is not to say they're not fantastic ways to expand your social life. The book is not remotely anti-digital. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is just saying be careful and don't don't think that you don't have to look after yourself. You do. Yeah. It's a prescription for looking after yourself and for being careful, but also for trying to find love. Yeah, of course, because we want Mm -hmm. everybody to feel in love and enjoy themselves and have great relationships. Is there a certain sector of women that you hear from the most who are seeking advice in this area? Well, I think think there are a lot of women. I mean, I think women – getting divorced or widowed, mm-hmm. getting back out there again, are like, it is so different now. Mm-hmm. And also, I think for a lot of young women, and you mentioned young women in New sure. York, mm-hmm. um, people who are successful in every other aspect of their life yes. can't believe that they can't figure this bit out. Right. And I think for young women who do think about having children, there is a sort of clock mm-hmm. beginning to tick that you have to acknowledge. And there's a chapter in there about... Uh, you know, slightly facetiously, I call it, you know, set your own best before date. Mm -hmm. Um, But that sense in which Mm -hmm. if you want to have children, you want to sort of get on top of it. You don't want to be 42 deciding you want kids because then the odds really are against you and it's much more expensive. And the fertility, Mm -hmm. yeah, and the fertility industry have sold women this this bill of goods that it's actually easy and, you know, you just have to get some treatment. And actually the odds are really against you at a certain point. Yeah, I always feel like there's a dance between... uh, empowerment and giving uh, women hope that, yeah, you can do all these things and then reality and how you should actually look out for yourself and and take care about certain things, about, you know, some of the things that you're saying, you know. I think it's got to be hard, though, for young people, like especially if a woman in your 20s, if you're on a certain track and you're not necessarily thinking about that, but in the back of your mind, somewhere in the recess is like, mm, at some point I may want to have kids, but I don't feel like that now, but... If I don't in the next five years, am I screwed? I mean, what's going on? Well, hopefully you meet someone and it becomes a conversation that you can have together. Yeah. Um, but if you do want kids, you do want to be honest about it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, you don't, you really don't want to wake up at 45 and then suddenly think, God, I did want them. And I talk to a lot of women who say oh, they're ambivalent, do you think but like, they're not. Let's say like at 25, you should at least ask the question to yourself maybe or say – do I want this or don't I want this? Or is that what you mean? Or what, what do you mean? Well, it's complicated at 25, but I, I, I think that 
between the ages of 20 and 25, mm-hmm. if you think you want children, you might want to think about freezing your eggs because it does give you that more young? options. Well, you're, the younger you are, the better the egg quality is. Mm-hmm. So what happens is often people sort of reach 38, 40, and they're like, oh, I do want to have a child. I haven't met anybody yet. I'm going to freeze my eggs. Sure. And the eggs are just not in as good shape then as they mm-hmm. are when you're younger. And I sort of think at some point we'll probably reach a point where, you know, the standard graduation present will be someone freezing their eggs. Wow. And wow. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mm-hmm. mean, and probably it's an unnecessary thing. Mm-hmm. But um, And if you met someone with frozen sperm, I mean, that would be fantastic. You know, you guys just go off and let... <laughs> Well, and then you would never need to. You'd never need to go to bed at just all. Just go have some fun, and then just have a lab somewhere and make your kids. And you go pick them up twenty years later. Over and, well, there's right. a new book about that that mm-hmm. just says that that may well be the future. That sex becomes for fun, and in fact, babies are created in labs. Do you think we're headed towards that? I hope not. Mm-hmm. I hope not, just because it doesn't sound as much fun. Yeah. So what's your what's your prediction? Are are people going to do better with love? Are we going to get more separate? Where are we going? Well, I hope that we're in a moment where we're beginning to understand our reliance on devices. I don't think there's a parent in the land that hasn't screamed at their kid to get off their phone. There's mm-hmm. definitely not a spouse who hasn't. And there isn't a boss who hasn't said, I can't believe you emailed him when he's sitting in the next cubicle. Go and talk to him. Mm-hmm. So I think having got through the first stage of excitement around devices and, and the glory that the web brings, we're, we are at a point now where we're beginning to reflect a little bit more on, on the downside of them and understanding we need digital hygiene. And you've got, you know, Arianna Huffington selling phone beds that you tuck your phone into at night mm-hmm. so it charges so that it's not right next to your bed ble- beaming a blue <laughs> light that stops you from sleeping. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm hopeful because it is the stuff in the end that, that people know is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it really is the, the tissue that keeps us all connected. And it, yeah. it's the fun stuff. It really is the fun stuff. I mean, it's funny because as you're saying that, I'm imagining how much we are connected to our devices. And they are almost like a constant companion, you know. Well, and I think people have lost the ability to enjoy solitude and they're now fearful of solitude. Mm-hmm. And yet through solitude comes all sorts of thoughts you get. You, you know, it's fascinating that people are now meditating with apps, right? So you press a little button and actually what they're really asking you to do is to start breathing and feel a little less mm-hmm. connected, you know, digitally because of the sort of listlessness that that breeds right. when you've spent a long time on your devices. And of course, the irony is you're meditating with an app. Yes. Uh, and what you should really do is just switch off completely and just lie there and listen to yourself breathing and, and right. allow yourself um, the panic of feeling disconnected from everything. And then after yeah. a couple of minutes, it passes, but it's hard to do. It's like if you have an Apple Watch. <laughs> I remember I hadn't worn it in a long time and I put it on recently and it just beeped. I'm like, what's going on? And look, it says breathe. And I'm like, Apple Watch, what the fuck? You're, <laughs> I, telling you to I breathe. I know I'm supposed to breathe. That's the one thing you don't have to tell me. It's like, why is my Apple Watch telling me I have to breathe? Well, you know? I have an Apple Watch yeah. and I have no idea how to use it. I love the strap and yeah. I like the face, but right. I, do, I have no idea. And every now and then it sends me a, a text from four years ago. Yeah. Well, right now, Siri and Alexa are kind of um, kind of hating each other. They're not friends right now, so I can't deal with either of them. I don't know. They're what never going to be friends. I don't think so. Don't you think, think it's odd that both Siri and Alexa are female voices? Well, you can change. Uh, you can change that apparently. Good. But Good. I, well, I want to change it. I think Siri doesn't like Alexa. That's my point of view on it. But I, I think Alexa never really thinks about Siri. 
It's kind of my San Francisco. Yeah, it's kind of my San Francisco, Los Angeles. But is that thing, because yeah. you, like all men, think that women are always at each other and, <laughs> no. and they're deeply in competition? No, they could be best friends. No, it's like I said. I don't think Alexa really thinks about it. I think this is on Siri. Oh, uh, you think uh, Siri's jealous of Alexa? I think Siri has some issues, some deep-seated issues. Yeah, I, I really think do. they're secretly best friends. It's possible, but um, I think Siri's very supportive to Alexa. See, I don't get that at all. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting that from. I don't see that at all. If you really listen to how Siri phrases things and everything, there's so many things like now that Siri just doesn't know anymore. And I think she's just refusing to say it because why don't you go ask Alexa is the attitude I'm getting. I'm like, wow, calm down, Siri. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Try it. Yeah. Right. All right. I will yeah. do. And I'm going to see which comes see back faster. Get. Yeah, I guarantee it'll be Alexa. And Alexa will... Wait, was that Alexa? That was Alexa. Oh, was Alexa that? heard you. <laughs> if you say Alexa long enough, she yes. will definitely intrude. Yes, and you only have to say Alexa. With Siri, you have to say, hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri, hey, are you there? Yes, exactly. You have to, like, try so hard now because she's like, I'm not talking to you. I got nothing to say. Why don't you go ask your friend Alexa? I did just have a trip around the smart house at the Amazon headquarters in oh, Seattle. Really? And that was, have you been? No, 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 it's no. It's pretty Tell me cool. About it. You should ask. I would uh, love if to you see can, that. I'm sure they would let you spend the night there. And by the way, I love technology. I love all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. And I the point awesome. is, how do we live with how it in the most effective yes, way, right? I agree. So that we own it, it doesn't own us. Yes. All right. And, so tell me about the house. Um, well, you go in and basically you can sort of pretty much talk to any device and it will do things. So you can say to the okay. oven, you, you can say to the oven, switch on at 300 and put a right. chop in it. <laughs> right. And it does. And, um, you I know, the, the, everything is set up as basically <laughs> slavery. Well, the, the machines are doing the work. Yes, how I mean, can we get something to do something for us? even a toothbrush yes. that will order the toothpaste for you because it know and it knows when you've, when you've been brushing your teeth oh. for long enough, it will order you a new little brush. Wow. There's a toilet roll holder that will order you more toilet. Wow. More toilet roll That's or toilet tissue as you very say intrusive. Um, yes. it, it's pretty cool and then of course you can ask the televisions to switch on and off and, right. and you can ask them to find what you want to watch yes but it's a pretty cool um, pretty cool environment very good uh, Joanna, thank you so much. Oh, by the way, are you? What about politics? Are you interested in politics at all? Is that something you've ever wanted to do? Is there any politics? No, <laughs> no. But into that realm of politics, I know you've talked about having politics more as a feature of Cosmo. You mean, would I like to sure. join the swamp? Absolutely. You're, you're well, not me personally, but I'm incredibly mm-hmm. interested in it, and I'm very heartened by the fact that so many young women and, yes. and older women are planning to run. I mean, it's really crazy, yeah. the numbers. I yeah. think 20,000. Yeah, this is going to be a great year for that. Oh, I'm very excited yeah, about November. Too. I can't wait for yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Um, will you be covering politics more or talking Yes, about of course, of course, okay, inevitably. Great. I mean, it's become the new soap opera, right? You can't wake up in the morning without wondering what happened, what plot yeah. twist there was overnight. And I think everybody is is motivated to stay engaged. I think millennials are excited to actually vote this time instead mm-hmm. of sitting at home, something we discussed on your show yes. on Comedy Central. Right. And um, I do think that... Young women in particular are outraged about the way that abortion and access to contraception have become political footballs again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're anxious to protect their health care. Yeah. Yeah. Those types of things, women's issues, civil rights, I always say those are human issues. Let's stop making them political issues. Absolutely. And making it a game between both sides where, 
you know, something has to be traded or gained for basic human rights. Well, and also, <laughs> and also always putting women on the defensive yeah. around things which, of course, want to be protected, but mm -hmm. also then sort of taking them out of the realm of thinking about national security or thinking about yeah. the economy, which are also issues that impact women hugely. Um, but we get sort of marginalized fighting for things which we should be able to take for granted, which is access to decent health care. Right. Exactly. should be a no-brainer. And then, of course, equal pay, equal rights. And then I think young women are also alarmed at this particular president's rhetoric about women. I know, I know he says he cares about women, he loves women, women love him. But it's, it's a little depressing what's happened, to say the least. Yeah, he's a narcissistic sociopath. Okay. Uh, On that note, and there's a <laughs> chapter in the book about literally called How to Spot a Narcissist. How to Spot – oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I you want to stay – I mean, sadly, I didn't write it before the election. I think narcissism is a huge problem these days. My friend uh, Joni Marchenko is a wonderful writer. We wrote a sitcom kind of based around narcissism this past year. But we we looked at it from a lot of different points of view. But for us, we were talking about narcissism and how that's one of the things that hides in plain sight a lot too. And you know, it's so destructive in so many different ways. Well, and so many narcissists yeah. are so seductive that yes. you're well, that's seduced. Their game. That's right. exactly it. And their right. goal is to seduce yes. you and then you're completely compelled by them and and you're sort of held captive and spellbound. Yeah. And um but, and then and, it's too late. And but this once again, just to bring it back to your theme, the digital age kind of you know, supports narcissism. Well, everyone is their own brand, everyone yes. has their own platform. Yeah. Um I know. What, what is Everyone's to become a star, of us? You know? uh, what is to become of us, Larry? I don't know. You know, I think there's going to be a. You know, what's interesting is that I have like pages and stuff like that because I'm in showbiz, but I actually don't enjoy that much. Like, I don't require that much attention, you know, from that stuff. And it's interesting to me. And I guess everybody's not like this. I'm just reacting to the people that are on it because I'm sure there are a lot of people that aren't. So it is a generalization. Like my son has nothing to do with any of that stuff. He could care less about it. Right. He's never right. going to go on Facebook or he's never going to take a picture of something and put it on Instagram. It's just not his thing. You know, so I'm sh I am generalizing. But it does seem like there's a flame there and the moths to this flame are igniting this special type of narcissi narcissism age that we're in that I've never seen before. Well, you know? and I think it comes mm -hmm. at the expense of listening to other people yeah. because it's, it's very sort of self-reinforcing narcissism and especially mm -hmm. when you're attracting followers and yeah. fans and people constantly retweeting you or re-liking you. Yeah. And it's absolutely fine in, in moderation like most things, but it can be a complete uh, burden. Yes, I agree. Love Rules by Joanna Coles. Always interesting. Always something interesting. Can I give? Say. Can I say one final thing? You there say whatever you want. Of, it doesn't have to be final. There are we'll a couple going. of scenes that I quote in the book from the brilliant, brilliant Insecure Issa Rae show, oh. which I know that you're heavily involved in. It's such a good show. Thank, I haven't a chance to read this yet, but well, I, I want to read this. The way she wrestles with dating yes. um, is so interesting to me. Well, thank and you. Um, I love it. I love girls. There's a lot of references yeah. and Sex and the City in the book about how women deal with different situations. Well, but Issa Rae in particular, I know you're involved. I with, appreciate so. that. I'm not as involved now, but when Issa and I were creating the show, that was one of the central aspects of it. And and the way kind of the show was created is me asking Issa, what is the hardest thing about right now? And the show was kind of centered around someone that isn't quite sure who they are, or where they're going. And, and the dating sex life was a big part of that. You right. know, and we spent a lot of time talking about all the 
intricacies of it, all the pitfalls, all the stuff, you know. Well, the nuances the of that everything. show, I think, Gee, they've so done a great smart. job over it's there. So yeah. smart. Really, really interesting and modern. It felt very modern to me when I watched oh, it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I think a lot of people relate to her as that avatar for that group, too, of people that feel that way and, and are trying to navigate all of those things. From, right, and from you want to navigate it and still feel sexy but be independent. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much stress on women now, I think, yes. to feel like you have to be independent, be able to do everything right. yourself, and yet you still – it feels a bit retro to say you want a partner and you might want yes. to have children. Yes, You're exactly. like, old-fashioned, that's crazy, that's, what's wrong with you? That's what the whole first season was about. In fact, in the pilot episode – Issa and I wrote a scene where she's about to go out and she tries all these different colored lipsticks and everyone had a different Issa, <laughs> you know. Right. I were, remember that. Yes. they were, And they were not just a different attitude, but a different Issa, you know. And and it's like, which Issa are you putting forward today? Exactly. And who's the most authentic Issa? Exactly. And is there an authentic Issa? And it's very confusing. There really wasn't one. Even when she took it all off, she wasn't even sure. Right. Yeah. No, and then you're like, oh, no, this is boring. No lipstick. <laughs> oh, I look flat. One dimensional. Here's the thing, Joanna and I could talk all day, you guys. <laughs> but it's called Love Rules, How to Find a Real Relationship in a Digital World. Joanna, maybe, can you come back maybe closer to the election and we'll talk some election stuff. I would love to thing, do right? that. I would love to do that. Yeah, Thank you for asking. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Joanna Coles, you guys. Yeah.